Welcome to the show today, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are coming here to you from my studio at Godspeak Calvary Chapel, where my wonderful pastor, Rob McCoy, one of my earthly heroes, um, has so graciously allowed me to host my show from here. But then I realized, with Roe v. Wade getting overturned and with my home church, I realized I had never officially had my own pastor on my podcast. We had cross-posted one over a year ago, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, from his old fireside chats, just girding up the loins of the church during the shutdowns. Uh, but we have officially have my good friend and pastor Rob McCoy on Unaborted with Seth Gruber to talk about the church, to talk about life, to talk about the role of the shepherd, to talk about the silence of the shepherds on the abortion of the lamb, and to talk about the Kairos turning point that the country's in. As we're praying that God kind of lifts the curse uh, and removes some of the pending judgment on this land for the slaughter of the innocent. I think this is really going to bless you and fire you up at such a decisive moment in the fight for life. And I'd ask you to share this with your pastor. And I want you to think about what your pastor said or didn't say on this Sunday following the overturning of Roe versus Wade. And if he didn't say much or anything at all, maybe encourage him to listen to this conversation with one of the most brave, courageous men that I know. Buckle up, you're in for a treat. I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. All right, Pastor Rob, good to have you here in your studio, brother. <laughs> Seth, you said I'm your hero. You need to get out more often, man. <laughs> I said earthly hero. You yeah, know, still, so you got to get out more No often. heresy. No, no, not I at all. I didn't think it was heresy. I just think... <laughs> You got to reach higher. <laughs> well, you're 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 humble, brother. You're you're too humble. And and that was one of the first things that that struck me when we met. So for the for the listeners who don't know, I think I've told this story before, but but we met through some mutual friends in October of 2020. Yeah, the Vanguards. Yeah, it hasn't even been two years yet, no. which is crazy. No, I feel like I've known you forever. I know. So yeah, because so much has happened since all this tyranny. And uh, and so I came up here, and I I have I'd never been to Newbury Park, and I I was like texting your daughter. I'm like, I can't find the church. Like, it looks like I'm in an industrial park and they're no that's the church and then we did the fireside chat thing and so as, as many of you guys know that's how my family and I ended up here at Godspeak is because within two hours of meeting you you said hey you should move your family up here you, well, you use our studio for your podcast I'll get you into pulpits all around California take back life in this state and uh, and we'll support your ministry hey come preach on November 1st two days before the national election uh, on life the most important thing and I'm I'm standing there Rob going who are you and, and that was, and then I called my wife that night, Rob, and I said, I told her what happened. And she, she, she said, no, that he, he, he's, he's just saying nice things to you. He doesn't mean that. Cause remember, like as a pro-life speaker, my, what I'm used to is being shot down by pastors, is being let down by pastors, is being frustrated with their silence on abortion. And so my wife brother literally was like, I don't think he meant that. There's no way. And then and then here we are. And so as many people know, you're one of the most outspoken pro-life pastors in the country, um, evidenced by how much you do for life. And you just gave a phenomenal message. Uh, well, today uh, we're recording this on June 27th. So yesterday, June 26th, on the overturning of Roe versus Wade and what it means for the church. So anyways, I just want to set the stage for all of that and just wow. thank you for coming on brother well seth I, you know um you're one of the most underutilized assets in america <laughs> and and i don't I, I don't throw bouquets when i say you're the charlie kirk of the pro-life movement uh, your ability to retain information and memorize and do entire portions of history by memory especially lincoln's speech and, and now as you're getting ready for the white rose rebellion uh, i just you know i'm i love the way god's fashioned you and 
and uh, you, you're you're unashamed, you're unafraid. Um, it, it's remarkable. And I never had the privilege to meet your mom, mm. but I am so grateful for the way she raised you and imparted that passion for the unborn. Um, and you, you articulate it well, and you do a good job, and you're teachable. And we've had some moments where you know I'm like a little little tender. There, you know? <laughs> yeah, and, yeah, yeah. But you know. Th- when someone has those kind of abilities, they're often not real teachable. Uh, you are. And it's not like I have anything to teach you. It's just observations. No, I'll say it, and you're not offended by it. So um, just grateful for what God's doing in and through you. Yeah, and yeah. I, I'm, I'm thrilled watching your ministry grow. It, it needs to be in every church in America. Yeah. It really does. Yeah, amen. And yeah. you need to duplicate yourself. I'm just going to tell that to everybody. That's right. right. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. know, sometimes you think you're the only one who can do what you do. You're not. Yeah. Amen. Uh, you're you're called of the Lord to replicate what you do. Amen. So that others can do it as well. That's right. If not better. That's right. That's one of the things that a lot of people have been telling me, brother, when I talk about the new organization I'm launching is, is hey, what are you going to do like an academy? Like, what are you going to do to like create more of you? And I keep getting Emily. Amen. That's one of our goals. More than an academy, new, the, send them out for for opportunities to speak. Oh yeah, you get trained up and you get sent out. And Absolutely. you're and you're going to need churches that are willing to get the, the second guy. That's and, right. And yeah, yeah. send them our way because there you go. You know the Godspeak congregation is they understand their role to equip saints unto ministry. Oh yeah. And and so you'll get somebody in that's you know it's their one of their first or second time speaking. But um, they're thrilled, and yeah. they, you know, they're not yeah, yeah. brutal, and they get into it, and they love the content. So yeah, yeah, yeah amen. That's Keep us awesome. in mind, especially when you go to Kansas. Oh my, yeah, yeah, <laughs> amen. Of course, brother. Um, so we we had an awesome conversation over a year ago. We were sitting in the um, the child care, the nursery at Godspeed Calvary Chapel. It was like right when we were in the process of moving up here. You, me, and David Glinky were just sitting there yeah. and drink, drinking Starbucks, and you were just telling stories to my wife and I about your heart for the unborn and, and some of the personal aspects of your story, which you've shared publicly sure. from the pulpit as well on, on the issue of life. But um, as you know, this podcast has grown a lot providentially incredible, and a lot of people who listen to this are not pro-life activists. They're not like these no. fired... They're Christians who care about life, and they're, they're finally starting to get spurred on and excited yeah. about standing for life. So a lot of of people listen to this podcast, they probably know your name, but maybe they don't listen to you preach. Maybe they haven't heard every message. So I, I would love to, for you to just share some of your genesis and some of the markers in your journey that God's led you through and how that's kind of formed you into who you are today, not, not just as a pastor and a man and a father and a husband and all of sure. that, but also <clears throat> as, a, as a voice for the unborn. And, and you have some really powerful sort of providential aspects of that story. Uh well, thanks, Seth. I, uh, I guess to re- recount, um, we, well, you um, you invoked Sunday's message, so I'll 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 start there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah I, I, if I if I had to take a guess as to when I became, you know, when when the, the pro life um, message started stirring in my heart, it was yeah, 1978. Yeah. Okay. I was a freshman in high school, as I San shared Diego? on Sunday, uh, Coronado, California, yeah. San Diego. Yeah, yeah, uh, and. I said on Sunday it was Coach Green's class, and last night as I was reflecting, it wasn't Coach Green's class. It was, um, it was like a government debate class, and it was it was the English teacher, and I'm trying oh, to remember wow. his name. Coach Green did do the health class, but this was this was in a separate class, and I'll I'll find that out and correct it next Sunday. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the speaker that came in 
was from Planned Parenthood. And right. she was this beautiful blonde woman. And you got these 13-year-old boys <laughs> right, that are just mesmerized. And she's giggling with them. And, you know, and, and we're all, she likes me. Well, she like, you know, and they just, yeah. and she was so articulate and had everybody laughing and spoke wow. our language and, and, you know, went on the kind of the cutting edge and related to the kids. And, and yet I still couldn't process the taking of a human life yeah. as legitimate. And every and there was four of us in a class of probably sixty that stood in opposition, and the three wow. others, uh, you know, they weren't super popular, and I, I don't think I was. I, I was a on the swim team, uh, water polo team, but you know, as a freshman, you don't know yeah. your elbow from your earlobe. <laughs> right, right. Um, and and we just got eviscerated. Wow. And and laughed at, and it, it kind of irritated me. Wow. Even then. Even then. Five years after row. Yeah. It, it's it. I, I couldn't comprehend this group think. Hmm. Because I, I realized we were kind of getting played. Yeah. And then the teacher said uh, the next week that uh, a, a pro-life speaker was coming in. And I was like, good. Now now we're going to get something here. Yeah. And I remember being so excited in this elderly late 70s, maybe 80s, frail woman came in. She was shaking with age and mm. she couldn't put together a sentence. And bless her heart, she was there contending for as a voice for the voiceless. Yeah. And these kids chewed her up and spit her out, and they started making fun of her. I mean, you got you got yeah. teenagers, freshmen, right. just you know, just attacking an elderly woman, and it made me even angrier. Yeah, and I, it made me upset because the teacher, and I don't remember his name, the teacher didn't intercede to say, "Hey, look, be polite." Right. I couldn't comprehend that. Now, we it wasn't a Christian home I grew up in. Right. Um, my family was moral. My dad served in the military. My mom, you know, she was very involved in the community. Uh, but I don't remember praying or reading the Bible or going to church for that matter. Yeah, yeah. And yet you knew. Yeah. And then um, I, I came to Christ. Uh, the first time I prayed to receive Christ was with a, with a swim coach after oh, wow. I had bombed at the senior nationals. Um, and I, I didn't like the guy. He didn't like me, but he'd had a terrible season. I did too. <laughs> and it was like, you know, it, you might want to receive Jesus. You know, it was, just, <laughs> it was pretty tragic. But I ended up, that, that kind of sowed seeds. I don't know if I was a believer then. I just wanted him to go, you know, and so I went through the motions. But it was it was when I went to Fresno State that things really solidified. Hmm. And I went through the navigator study. And, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, wow. and my, my, my life was grounded in the Lord. Uh, God's word became very evident that it was more, it was unlike anything I'd ever heard before because it was the only book in the world where I didn't read it, it read me. Hmm. And it was evident. And even when we had the New Living Translation and they had all the cartoons and all that, and I'd be in a, uh, you know, there was a high school English teacher that did a Bible study um, at our school, uh, Robin Adair. Hmm. And even then, I went to the Bible study to meet girls. Um, but when they, when they would be teaching, I'm like, well, that's kind of profound. You know, yeah, yeah. I, I was moved by it. But in college, I became a believer w without, without question. And there was a calling on my life. Um, and the and and my roommate John Overstreet, who now is with the Fresno Police Department, he he, he was a chaplain. Now he's an officer. Um, wow. He had been discipled. He grew up in Madera, and he was discipled by one of the guys at the church there that were in the college group. And I'd seen the growth in him. And he goes, "You should come." He he would allow another person in the discipleship group. So it'd be the two of us. Oh. But you got to do your homework. And I did. And that was a navigator study. And I the man's name was Steve. I'll, I'll leave his last name out. But. Um, I just came to adore this man. He was married, had three kids. Uh, he's a farmer. And uh, he ran the college group at this church in Madera. Wow. And just a great guy. So um, 
grew leaps and bounds, started a Bible study on campus that grew, uh, founded a Christian fraternity called Alpha Gamma Omega chapter there, uh, Ada wow. chapter. I was a founding president. And I got these guys going, you know. I was like, Let, let's let's go all in. Yeah. And uh, I ended up graduating, um, and I got a job with Helene Curtis in sales, took me down to Southern California, uh, got promoted. Then I switched companies, um, knowing that Helene Curtis would be bought out by Cheeseboro. I kind of knew I could see the writing on the wall, and I jumped over as an area manager with Cheeseboro. They ended up buying them. I got promoted, moved back to the San Joaquin Valley. Okay. When I came back, I had money in my pocket. I was sowing my oats a little bit, and I'd kind of been wayward. I go back to that original college group, and there's a new girl there. We started dating, and uh, we started sleeping together. And I, I got convicted by it. She was too, and and we just knew it was wrong. Yeah. And I remember it was a July Fourth picnic at the church. I go, look, we hmm. we got to call this off. She goes, you're right. So we separated. Okay. Um, and she came to me a week or two later, and she said, I'm pregnant. And I'm like, oh, oh man. So it was kind of, it, I wouldn't say it was a super legalistic church, but it was somewhat. You know, any any church has, the old joke is, any church that has grace in the name doesn't have it in the building. <laughs> it's not true. I mean, it, yeah, 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 it's yeah. a joke. Right. So uh, I, I went and told the senior pastor, and he said, you need to get married before she's showing. And that was his advice. Good or bad, that was his advice. Okay. The hardest one was I had to go tell the college pastor. Okay. It broke my heart. I mean, I just adored this man. Same was, same friend from... Yeah, and this was his group, and right. I felt like I just let him down. Went up to Dinky Creek uh, to go trout fishing, and I told him, and he was just dead silent. Most uncomfortable thing I could imagine. Hmm. I mean, it was like, this, this trip's over. Wow. And we got in the car. I don't know that we said anything on the way back. It was brutal. So you're just thinking... Okay. Yeah, I, I've just, I've just yeah. screwed everything up. And my parents weren't Christians at the time. Now i got to go tell them. Right. So uh, I got a, a marriage pending. The, my hero has disavowed me. And now I got to go tell my parents. So I, I drive to where they are. They didn't live where I was. I get there. It's the evening, cocktail hour. Dad's back from work. What are you doing here? I need to talk to you. All right. My mother and my dad sit down. My dad, Navy captain, you know. Hmm. And I go, um, my girlfriend's pregnant. We're going to get married. My mom literally screamed. <sighs> oh, my God. You know, she just flipped. And my dad. Wait, you know, happy or sad? Oh, no, she was livid. My okay. brother, <laughs> I, I don't want to throw my parents under the bus, but, yeah, I'm just going to leave it at that. But but my mom flipped out. Okay. And my dad calmly said, Louise, calm down. And he, he looked at me and he said, Rob, I'm sure you care about this girl, but you don't need to get married at this stage in life. And it was the best advice he could give me um, as a provider and a protector who really didn't know the Lord. Right. He was trying to do the best he could. He said, have her get an abortion, and you guys can still date, but don't get married over a baby. Hmm. And, and I looked at him, and I said, Dad, I can't do that. It's against what I believe. Wow. Knowing that when I told him about the Lord the first time when I went home, you know, after receiving Christ, he said, get that Jesus crap out of my house. <laughs> So I said, Dad, that goes against what I believe. And I knew that was conflict. Hmm. And my dad said, son, look where your beliefs have gotten you so far. Oh. And I'm wow. Like, oh, that hurt. <laughs> Low blow. You're a good fighter. And I said, you know, Dad, that's, 
that's not God's fault. That's my fault. Hmm. And I started because wow. I had done right. some in-depth study. That's I wish you had been around when I was younger. Um, but I, I, and I didn't even know Greg Kokel and Stand to Reason. But I had read some things, and yeah. I was able to contend that this, this is not, this is not acceptable morally. Yeah. Right. And my dad would, you know, have a rebuttal, and I would contend, and he knew he wasn't winning. Hmm. Wow. And he puts his hand up and he says, let me make it perfectly clear. You marry that woman and give birth to that child, you'll never step foot in this house again. Whoa. And it was like ultimatum. And that was so unlike my dad. Wow. He's a peacemaker. And I go, are you serious? Wow. And he goes, yep. I look over at my mother and she's nodding in affirmation like, yes. Wow. Mm -hmm. And my, my hands were shaking. My heart was racing. My lips were quivering. And I was in my early 20s. Right, yeah. And I I knew that, you, you talk about a Kairos moment. I knew it was then. Yeah. I think that's the day I became a man. Mm. I just said, you know, I love you guys. And I'm going to miss you. Wow. And I got up and I walked out. Wow. Good I didn't have you. a friend in the world. Because mm. the church I was at, I'm the guy responsible for ruining the college group. Yeah. And, you know child out of wedlock and blah 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 and so uh wow <clears throat> worst part i uh i am so depressed yeah <laughs> i can imagine let I me mean, just unbelievably depressed i have made a stand for life and i've been humiliated yep. now granted i put myself in this position i didn't blame anybody but me yeah but i've made a stand and now i've lost my family mm. the church is of of zero to no comfort and uh, I, I turned to my fiance at the time, and I said, "Let's go up to Hume Lake. It was above the up in the hills yeah. of Fresno. That's right. There was a Christian concert. Let's let's just go get lost for a while. So we go up there. It was a terrible concert. I, I don't even know. It was just <laughs> awful. It didn't do anything to okay. usage the discomfort. And uh, we're driving back down the mountain, and she asked me to pull the car over. She didn't feel well, probably morning sickness. My driving, I don't know. And she takes her engagement ring off." I'm like, oh, gosh, what's going on here? And she puts it up on the dashboard. She says, "Whoa, I have to tell you something. I said, all right. What do you got to tell me? And she said, I slept with Steve. Now, Steve was the college pastor that had discipled me. Oh, that I went to Dinky wow. Creek with. It didn't say a word to me when I told him. <laughs> and it was just devastating. You're already like, yeah. oh, my gosh. And I looked at her and I said, I wish you told me that before I went to see my folks. <laughs> Yeah. Am I a pawn in all this? It's still your baby. We were only together once. I said, all right. Well, we're not getting married, but I'll take care of the baby. And we were both committed to that. But I wasn't going to build a marriage on a lie. Wow. And, you know, I, I didn't hate her. I just didn't understand. Man. So, Jeez. Just, just for folks out there that, you know, it's dark for you right now. You know what? Satan intends for evil, God uses together for good. Part of my territory was on the coast, so I'd have to go through the mountain range to get over there, just the coastal mountains. But going through like Hollister, um, oh yeah, yeah. There, there's a, a road there, and I knew the bend where if you just kept going straight, you'd just go. Phew. And I, I was so contemplating that. Wow. I'm, I'm, I, in all my life, and I'm 57, almost 58. I've never thought about taking my life like I did that that mm. moment. 
Wow. I mean, everybody has a fleeting thought here. Now, life would be better if I wasn't here. You know, like it's a yeah. wonderful life. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but this, this was, th- there's no way out wow. except this. Mm. And I knew it was coming up, and it, it was almost like a blackout when I got to that, that hairpin turn. <clears throat> mm. All I know is I didn't do it. And when I got out of that turn, I pulled the car over, and I just started, you know, the voices of, you're a coward, you're pathetic, you're... And and the, and the depression was unlike anything I'd experienced. Hmm. Um, and wow. I just I, right there, I just had it out with the Lord. Yeah. You know, you, you know, you said if I, you know the idea is like with King David, he was honest with you. You were merciful with him. He committed adultery and murder, and and he 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 killed he killed Eliam's son-in-law, that was Ahithophel's grandson-in-law. Ahithophel was your was David's most trusted counselor. Wow. He never did anything wrong. All he did was serve David. David humiliated him, his son, his granddaughter, Bathsheba, and murdered his grandson-in-law. And he still gets to keep Bathsheba, David does. Wow. And Ahithophel ends up hanging himself because, God, you thwarted the counsel of Ahithophel and gave Hushai the archite favor so that Absalom would be thwarted. Wow. And this is a man who committed murder and adultery. You got the wrong guy. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> And yet, Lord, your word points out that he's a man after your own heart. Yeah. And he had committed two sins for which there wasn't a sacrifice in all of Israel. And now I I don't even have a friend on the face of the earth. Hmm. And it was like, I was listening to myself talk. And it was just stupid. (laughs) Like, do you trust me? Or are we going to keep playing this stupid game? Wow. I said I'd take care of it. It's like, it's like in the storm. I, I said, we're going to go over to the other side. I'm going to sleep because I know we're going to the other side. You're panicking. Yeah. And you want to just calm down and calm and quiet your soul like a weaned child is my soul <laughs> within me, Psalm 131. So I, I had it out with the Lord, and there, and there was peace. Wow. That night I get a phone call from a friend I had met four years earlier. Hmm. She lived up in Northern California, uh, and she'd come down to Coronado in the summers to visit her grandmother. Her grandmother um, and her grandfather was a Navy admiral who had died in 67 while on duty, uh, wow. on active duty. And then her, her grandmother remarried another admiral. And uh, she'd come down with her family and spend the summer there. And I met her there at the movies, Dollar Night Movies. And it was a great summer. And the next summer was fun. And we'd, we'd hang out each summer. And she's the only person I carried a picture of in my wallet because her, her laughter was contagious. Mm. And she was just, just a joyful person. And yeah. I, I just I thought it was a cute picture. And I always think about her. But she always had a boyfriend, and I had a girlfriend, and you know, I'd call her, and she goes, "I can't talk right." And I was like, "Oh yeah, my bad." <laughs> and and yet, you know, it was one of those people that you you just couldn't get her out of your mind. And she'd call me every year on my birthday to wish me a happy birthday, and this was the most miserable birthday of my life. <laughs> oh man, I read one time that day driving was your birthday. It wasn't that; it was the week later. Wow. Yeah. Jeez. Um. I read one time the London Times did a contest on. Who, who would provide the best definition of a friend? Uh, and the, the definition that, I think the, the definition that one was, a friend is the person that when the whole world goes out, they come in. Mm. And that was Michelle. Wow. And she called me on my birthday, and she had to go through the chain of the abandonment of my family to figure out how to get my phone number. <laughs> oh, well, you know, he's getting married, and blah, blah. I don't, I don't But anyway, she calls me, and I, I tell her the whole story. Wow. And my parents don't even know that, that I've been, you know, 
yeah, betrayed by betrayed. Her no, yeah. nobody knows this. I, I'm, I'm, they don't even exist at this point. Wow. So she's the only person I've kind of laid all this out to, and I'm thinking, well, this will be the last conversation, you know, because you hang out with me, you know. Worst case scenario, you'll be raising somebody else's kid. Oh man. You know, I'm damaged goods, and she had just become a Christian. Wow. She never Christian when we were dating, and in the first, the last two years when I was a Christian, not dating, we weren't dating as we were friends. The last two years, I was a believer. She didn't know what it was all about. Hmm. She bought me a Footprints poster, which is like the corniest thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, she was yeah. doing her best, you know. <laughs> but she'd become a Christian at Cal Poly. Oh, wow. And she was there, and that was part of my territory. I go, look, I'm going to be there. I'll take you to lunch. And then we went to dinner. And we were waiting for the birth of the child because back in the 80s, you, you couldn't do a paternity test without endangering the baby. Yeah. So you had to wait till the baby was born. Wow. <laughs> That's a lot to carry. <laughs> yeah. And uh, so the baby's born. <clears throat> I go down for the blood test. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, he has to take the blood test in the location. Wow. And then the results come back. It's his. He doesn't believe it. Whoa. I don't believe it. She doesn't believe it. His wife doesn't believe it. Oh we take another blood test. Conclusively his. I mean, there's no doubt. Whoa. Within a very short amount of time, I invite Michelle to come over to Fresno. I find a farm with a willow tree by a lake. And I say, look, I don't know what you're doing for the next 60 years, but you want to marry me? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not screwing this up again. And she says yes. Wow. And I call my mother. Um, am I boring everybody yet? No, this is awesome. Uh, <laughs> I call my mother, and I haven't talked to her. And she could be, there's a Hebrew word called biatch. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> she could she could be really awful and i call her and she goes why are you calling i said i'm getting married i thought you already were married i mean really brutal i go that's a long story but no well who are you marrying this time like just irritating like i want to hang up i said well her name is metarice coletti but she goes by her middle name michelle now, no one's ever heard the name Metaris. Right. I mean, you're looking at me like, what Metaris? Yeah, yeah. It's M-E-D-E-R-I-E-S. Wow. It's a French name. I think it's pronounced Medaris. Wow. I didn't even know that. And, and she's eighth generation Metaris. I mean, this is a name that nobody uses anymore. They just keep pulling it back. From is the, it's the last name or the first name? First name. Oh, wow. Yeah. So my, my mother-in-law is Metaris Deanne. Okay. Yeah. And then Michelle is Metaris uh, Michelle. And then my daughter is Molly Metaris. And okay. then Liberty Metaris is my granddaughter. Yeah. So it just keeps going. Yeah, yeah. So I go, her name is Metaris Coletti, but she goes by her middle name, Michelle. And my mother goes, I know a Metaris. Hmm. I go, what? you do? She goes, yes, her name is Metaris Fowler. Oh, yeah, that's that's Michelle's grandmother. Whoa. My mother says, you're marrying Admiral Richard Fowler's granddaughter? <laughs> I go, yeah. And I can hear my mom doing the cabbage patch in the back, like, <laughs> You know, it's like great white hope. I don't know. And uh, she said, Rob, did Whoa. you know that Michelle's grandmother went by her first name, but it was abbreviated? They called her Med. Mm, okay. Because nobody could pronounce Metaris. They'd say Mercedes or whatever. <laughs> so they called her Med Fowler. Okay. My mother said, Rob, did you know that Med Fowler was at your baby shower before Whoa. you were born? I'm like, no. She <laughs> said, yes, yeah, she was best friends with your godmother. My godmother is Lois Early. Okay. Lois Early is married to the man I'm named after, my godfather, Rear Admiral Robert Broussard Early. Okay. I'm Robert Roy Walter McCoy. Whoa. So I was named after him. Uh, 
Robert and Lois Early, Rear Admiral Robert and Lois Early, were childless. Hmm. Your so godparents. I, yeah, my godparents. So I was, I, they were my godparents. And uh, she said, yeah, they were best friends. I said, I didn't know that, Mom. And she said, yeah, Med and Lois were at your baby shower. Your godparents were best friends with now your... With grand- my wife's grandparents. Your wa- your grandparents-in-law. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> wow. As a matter of fact, Robert Early and Richard Fowler were classmates in 1937 at the U.S. Naval Academy. Oh, my gosh. Actually, I think Dick Fowler was two years earlier but they were the best of friends wild yeah <laughs> so um so that that was and and richard fowler michelle's grandfather she never knew him hmm. michelle was born in 67 okay. and she was in her mother's womb when her grandfather died on active duty wow he was a highly decorated navy pilot he had sunk the nagato which was a command ship on the attack of pearl harbor and he got the navy cross wow he was an ace wow yeah Wild. Yeah, he died in a fire on base uh, oh, at Christmas, oh. 1967. So Michelle never met him. She was in the womb when he died. Wow. Um, but it's like I've always known the man. There's something about him. Hmm. Pictures of him. He was, he was he was scheduled to be the like the CNO, chief of naval operations. There's pictures with him with, you know, Eisenhower and Kennedy on the Bay of Pigs. It was it was intense. Wow. Cool guy. So and and my godfather spoke highly of him, but. Another story. Let me get back to this one. Yeah. My mother says they were at your baby shower. I said, oh, cool, Mom. My mother didn't get along with any of my siblings' spouses, but she adored Michelle. Hmm. Who doesn't? I mean, you got to be crazy not to love Michelle. That's why I carried a picture of her. She just, she is the sweetest human being that's ever walked the face of the earth. Just precious. So, um, my mom adored her. And then... Hmm. Fast forward, I'm almost done. My my mom comes to Christ. When I walked out that day, um, I got three siblings, an older brother and two older sisters. They're much older than me. I'm the youngest by six or seven years. Okay. They're like a planet and I'm a moon that revolves around <laughs> There's a big gap. Yeah. Um, my brother's almost 10 years older than me. Wow. My youngest sister is six or seven years older than me, so I'm, okay. I'm way out here. Yeah, yeah. My mother had confessed to Father Michael Murphy. When I walked out, she went through depression. Hmm. When I walked out of the house that day, she confessed to Father Michael Murphy that she had had two abortions in Japan between my sister and me. Whoa. And, uh, and when did you find this out? Oh, she told me. And, and she got that off her chest. And my my dad was so moved by her conversion that he converted to Christ. Wow. Father Mike, precious, precious evangelical Catholic priest. I love the man. He 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 invited me. I mean, Catholic priests don't do this, to co-officiate my parents' funeral. Oh, wow. As a Protestant minister. Wow. And the joke was my Catholic parents couldn't come to their Protestant son's ordination because they're their Jewish godson's bar mitzvah. <laughs> <laughs> That's a true story. All right, let me, let me conclude it. Um, so my mom comes to Christ and, and she made a tremendous Christian. Mm-hmm. She, was, she was a neat lady, tough as nails. She was, she was, her father died when she was five and he was an awful man. Her mother died when she was 17. Wow. And you know what? She made a go of it. My dad did too. He was a depression baby. Um, he the only college graduate in his family. Mm-hmm. His dad was a town drunk, my grandfather. 
His grandmother was the tarot card reader of Indianapolis and kind of cultic. And you know what? He did a good job. He, he made life better for his kids. Yeah. A great respect for my parents. My mom, my dad gets Alzheimer's. He's in a home. Okay. And my, my mother, um, she, she was going to live to be 100. I mean, she's just, mm-hmm. just full of life. Yeah. And she finds out she has lung cancer. Mm. And I don't know why she decided to do it. I thought it was kind of crazy, but she decides to have surgery in her 80s. I mean, wow. come on, just do targeting radiation, you know, extend it, just keep that thing. Yeah. So she goes in for surgery. Wow. And it didn't go well. Mm. And she's in the recovery room, and I go in to visit her. And her back is to me, and she's looking out the window forlorn. And she looks over her shoulder and she sees me and she looks back out the window. And I realize at that moment, I'm not coming in as her son, but as her minister. Hmm. Wow. And I sit to the to her right in her peripheral vision and I just sit quietly. And she says, without looking at me, she says, uh, Rob, have I made a mistake? And the Bible says, if any man lacks wisdom, all he need to do is ask God. and He'll give liberally, freely to him. And I, and I literally prayed. I said, God, I don't want to answer this. And the Lord gave it to me. It was really sweet. But I said, what do you mean, Mom? Have you made a mistake? And she said, having the surgery at this stage in life. And I said, Mom, it's the economy of God's grace. You know, if the surgery takes, you'll have more time with us. And if it doesn't, you you get a unique gift to be able to see the finish line and finish well. Right, yeah. And I watched her process this. It was it was fascinating. And she says, yes, yes. Thank you, sweetie. Thank you. <laughs> and then, uh, then she says, Rob, there's something I haven't told you. And those are one of those moments where you got to listen. Like, like, whoa. Yeah. What, Mom? She said, do you remember when I told you that Med was at your baby shower? I said, yeah. And Lois was there, too. She said, yes, she was. She said, Rob, when we found out, I didn't think I could have more kids. And when we found out we were pregnant with you, we were done having kids. Mm. And we were already prepared. To she was in Japan? No, we were no, in Coronado at the by time. Then. Yeah. Okay. So she goes and confides in the commanding officer's wife, which is back then the Navy wives had that hierarchy. And it was Lois who was childless. And she knew she could confide in Lois because she thought Lois was childless to further her husband's career. Hmm. And she said to Lois, Lois, where would one obtain an abortion in San Diego in late 63, early 64? And Lois said to my mother, Louise, let me, let me look into that and I'll get back to you. Hmm. And without my mother's permission, she got together with her best friend, Med Fowler, and put on a baby shower and saved my life. Uh, wow. Med Fowler <laughs> bought my crib. No way. Yeah. Oh, my God. And I would end up marrying her granddaughter. <laughs> I'd be with her and share the Lord with Med, reconfirm her life to Christ, and I would lead Lois to the Lord. And I remember leading Lois to the Lord. Your godmother. My godmother. Wow. And my mother's by the bedside, and she's sobbing. And I'm like, wow, this is, this is before I knew all this. Yeah, yeah. I'm sharing the Lord with Lois, and she's sobbing. My mother's sobbing. And my mother says, I'm so glad that Lois hosted that baby shower. Wow. I said, I am too, Mom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, 
This is the last part. That's amazing. She ends up being in ICU. And our family dealt with stuff with humor. She's in ICU. She's she's going out. Mm-hmm. And we can only go in one person at a time. And I'm in the waiting room. And, you know, I'm trying to figure out what to do with myself. So I, weirdest thing, I look at my birth date. Okay. And because uh, it was August. And I see a conception calendar. So I put in my birth date. And then the conception calendar comes up when I was supposedly conceived. Uh Uh-huh. And I I look at that point in history. And it was when JFK was shot. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's my turn to go into ICU. And my mother's got this fighter pilot mask with forced oxygen. And she goes, hi, love. And I said, hey, mom. I said, I was just in in the waiting room, you know, trying to figure out what to do. And I punched in my birth date on a conception calendar, find out when I was conceived. And lo and behold, I was conceived... Uh, when you know the 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 weekend or the the two days that Kennedy was shot, my mother says, "We were the last in the country to know." You know I was like, and and she giggled, yeah and, yeah. and it was just a, it was one of those sweet affirmations that, you know, life is precious. Yep. And two women who didn't know the Lord saved my life. Wow. They. They they were moral women. They were of the greatest generation. Yeah, they right. knew babies were were to be protected. Yep. Um, hmm. So that's amazing, brother. Yeah, God's good. First thought I had as you finished there, Rob, was um, <clears throat> it's interesting sometimes how um, the Lord seems to give sometimes secularists, or we could call them theists, more moral clarity than the pulpits. Yeah, and we've seen that happen time and again. So you have these two women full of truth, full of some grace, some understanding Mm -hmm. that the pulpits didn't have then and seem to not have now. And so just in the beautiful ending of your story and the personal side of why Rob McCoy cares so much about life is, is just that interesting truth that it's hard i I, i've seen it's hard for a lot of um fundamentalist christians or or apolitical i'm neither left nor right christians to grasp is that god's reign falls on the just and the unjust and you know the abolitionist movement wasn't driven it wasn't this like a hundred percent like evangelical protestant reformation there were a bunch of theists secularists deists that were a part of the abolitionist movement yep um and you and, know, and shame on the churches who well, for, the, in and, a culture where the pagans were more committed right. to protecting the black man than the pulpits. And and the Christians that were involved were ostracized many times by their churches. Yeah, that's right. Um, now, granted, like the Republican Party, which its sole purpose was for the abolition of slavery. That's right. And it's it's convened and established in a congregational church in Ripon, Wisconsin. That's right. 1857. And yet, when the Emancipation Proclamation and, you know, the abolition of slavery occurs, it's not like church bells are ringing across the country. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they're the last to come to the table, and they're supposed to be the conscience. Yeah. The, 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 the soul of the nation. Uh-huh. But the church, um, it, it, it doesn't drive culture. It acclimates. Mm. Yeah. Uh, Breitbart said that, that politics is downstream from culture. And I, I've mm-hmm. always stated, well, the church should be driving culture. Yeah. But then they say, oh, you're too political. Whoa, 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 whoa. Because I have an opinion mm-hmm. and I assert it. That's right. I, I, 
you and I, you know, had a little bit of conversation about Naomi Wolf. Yeah. And I, I interesting woman in the last year. Huh? Seriously, and and I, I, I didn't tell you this, but when I was up in Northern California, I I talked with her. Really? And I told her, I quoted her in the in the church, mm-hmm. and she was beside herself. And I said, I want you to come. She said, I will, but why would you? You know, it's like she couldn't comprehend that. Wow, and she was a delightful woman. Wow. And I know she's got her struggles, but she was more bold than the pulpits in America when she said, I'm not, I'm not a hero. You're just a wussy. Right. And and for you guys listening, Pastor Rob's addressing Naomi Wolf's viral like Substack piece yeah. she put out uh, when she boldly stood against in New York City. vaccine mandates. Yeah. It's not a vaccine, but you know what I mean. Yeah. Against the, the jab mandates and talking about these cowardly men who would come to her and say, hey, I, I believe with you. I think just like you. But basically, I don't have the balls to say no, it. Yeah, what she was saying, I believe just like you, but I, I can't do that. I, yeah. I'm so glad you have the ability. She yeah. goes, what makes you think I have the ability to do it? Yeah. You, 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 you are monumental cowards. Yeah. Because where you have influence to be able to change culture, yep. it's 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 like pensions over principle. Yeah, you're more concerned with your paycheck right. than you are with the next generation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, that's and good, the audacity right? for pulpits to declare I'm too political. I mm. mean, really, that that's going to be your position. Yeah, that's good, brother. And you're going to post a black tile. I mean, we've been through this. Seth. Yep. They post a black tile, yet Roe v. Wade is overturned. Mm-hmm. And they are silent. I would say the, the greatest killer of black ever blacks in America yep. ever. Yep. All deaths combined don't equal the That's amount right. of deaths by abortion That's in the right. black community. Five times greater than the white community. That's right. It's a holocaust. That's right. And they didn't say anything. That's right. We'll we'll, we'll get to that if if we have time because I know we're we're rolling here. But people love they love hearing you speak, Rob, because you're such a powerful dude. It's voice a podcast. We can go forever. But but <laughs> Sophie Scholl once said, the 21 year old murdered Christian in Germany who joined who demanded to join the White Rose Resistance when she came across one of their leaflets and found that it was being run by her brother Hans. She once said something along the lines of, "It's all oh, I almost have it perfect." But she said something like, "If if you if you believe that this is wrong, why do you not speak?" And she she said to that kangaroo court on on February twenty uh, first, nineteen forty three, um, she said others um, believe what we say; they just don't dare speak as we speak. And so it just it, that occurred to me when you were talking about Naomi Wolf, because for you guys listening, just so you know, Naomi Wolf has been a huge figurehead in the pro-abortion movement. Um, she's been one of the most lauded and celebrated feminists yeah. in the secular feminist, not the suffragettes, not the no, early feminists when the sexual revolution co-opted the feminist movement to move forward the abortion behemoth, story for another time, uh, the secular pro-abortion quote-unquote feminist movement. They love her. She's been yeah. one of the biggest pro-abortion voices, and yet she was also one of the most honest, Rob. And yeah. so this is this, I didn't expect the podcast to go this way, but super interesting. Um, she, she, she said this once, Rob. She said... Clinging to a rhetoric about abortion in which there is no life and no death, we entangle our beliefs in a series of self-delusions, fibs, and evasions. And, and we risk becoming precisely what our critics, pro-lifers, charge us with being, callous, mm-hmm. selfish, and casually destructive men and women who share a cheapened view of human life. And you know what she ended with, Rob? She said, so... We need to contextualize the fight to defend abortion 
within a moral framework that admits that the death of the fetus is a real death. Yeah. And she said that years yeah. ago. So, yeah. so, but she wasn't pro-life. No. Just one of the most intellectually consistent pro-abortion voices, which actually makes it all the more disturbing to hear someone be that honest about yeah. the view of the unborn. And yet in this last year, she's had this like strange attraction to the streams of liberty, to quote you, where she's standing now for bodily autonomy or against laws that would compromise bodily autonomy by people who don't want to get the jab. But she says, my body, my choice when it comes right. to abortion. Really interesting. And so I, I want to I tell that story to set up a question for you, brother. Um, a lot of pastors are very uncomfortable with your approach to cultural and political engagement. And Naomi Wolf is this beautiful example of the unique kind of approach you take, and I, I think the right approach, but it makes pastors very uncomfortable. You are willing to invite people into your canoe as you, to quote you, brother, paddle up the streams of liberty yeah. back towards its source because, as you say, liberty is not man's idea, it's God's. Yeah. Second, and, Second Corinthians 3.17. Uh-huh, and that self-evident truth. Yeah. We live in God's world. Yeah. We breathe his air. We abide by his rules. Eternity's written on the heart of man, so we yeah. can't help but yearn for some of the eternal truths that were embedded into us when we were knit together in our mother's wombs, even if we've, we've siphoned off some of those self-evident truths. And so you have someone like Naomi Wolf that like you got to speak to and like thank her for standing against tyranny. And yet she's not pro-life yet, but she's starting to, it seems like she's maybe moving in this direction. Mm-hmm. So talk a little bit about that, about your approach to political and cultural engagement that, that for, it gets a lot of pastors very uncomfortable. <laughs> oh, well. But we've seen the fruit from it. So I wanted you to talk a little bit about that. And we've seen the fruit of that at Godspeak. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know the pastors that are uncomfortable with me. I, and I, I've kind of, I don't do social media. And if I have a presence on social media, it's because my daughter does it. She'll take a quote of mine or something. And, and we've got uh, a, a person who works our social media. Yeah. Uh, and, and she does a great job. Um, pastors by nature, um, that they're, 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 they, uh, they want to bring peace. Hmm. Yeah, they're peacemakers. Yeah. But they're they're confused because they think that peace is the absence of conflict, and peace isn't the absence of conflict. It's the presence of Christ, the Prince of Peace, in the midst of the conflict. Yeah, that's uh, a good word. You're to contend for ideologies, and and somewhere along the line, they got really duped hmm. in thinking that politics don't belong in the church. Yet that yet they'll still attend a board meeting. <laughs> If God didn't intend politics to exist, he wouldn't have invented marriage. Wow. Aristotle, which, by the way, when we talk about Naomi Wolf, the power of that woman is the unexamined life isn't worth living. She honestly examines her life. Yeah. A a lot of pastors don't. Yeah, yeah. They hide behind this idea that I am exegetical in my teaching, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, you know, the, the whole counsel of God's word uh, and and you're you know you 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 did a topical message or you're you're bringing politics into the church and and uh mm. it, it's almost they've made an uh, an idol I know this is gonna sound strange but they made an idol come on out of the word of God now the the, the word is living and breathing and sharpening two-edged sword and Jesus is the word he's the way the truth the life uh, that's not what I'm saying what I'm saying is 
their approach to it is almost an idol, mm -hmm. as though there's no other way to communicate. And I have a question for those pastors. Not a lot of exegetical teachings of Jesus in the Scripture. A lot of stories. Mm, yeah. And, and when you see the apostles invoke a Scripture from the Old Testament, and I see what they invoke it for, I'm like, hmm. I went to seminary. That's a, I mean, that's, that's divine intervention to show them the inside of that text. Mm. Now, I still teach exegetically. I still study the whole, I've taught all 66 books of the Bible, cover mm -hmm. to cover. I've done every, every single book of the Bible I've taught. Um, but when they say that politics doesn't belong in the church, they, they haven't read Matthew 16, 18. Hmm. When Jesus said, upon this rock, I'll build my ecclesia. He didn't say church. Yes, that didn't come to hundreds of years later. The Greek, right? Ecclesia. Yeah, the Greek. And, and Aristotle defined the term because it was hundreds of years. He didn't say synagogue. He didn't say temple. Hmm. He said ecclesia or ecclesia. And that's translated. As a matter of fact, Tyndale translated it correctly in the very first English-speaking Bible, which transformed the Western world by politics. Mm-hmm civil government in the Geneva Bible with all the commentaries on the side. And wow. King James did the exact same translation from the Septuagint and the Masoretic text, but he removed the commentary because he wanted the divine right of kings. Mm -hmm. And he translated that word as assembly. And for that, he was hung and his remains were burned. Whoa. And, and look at Matthew 16, 18. At the headwaters of the Jordan, Caesarea Philippi, park-like setting, beautiful. Jesus takes these Orthodox Jewish boys up to the headwaters. They're in Galilee. That's a long haul for them. Yeah. And when they get up there, every culture that's dominated the region has set up a temple to their god or goddess. So it is a cacophony of noise of pagan worship. Right, right. You've got Bacchus, the god of alcohol, and they're up there worshiping. You probably have nude Roman women in the, the pools right up there in, in Caesarea Philippi. They've, they've got the gates of hell that the Greeks put up there, and they've got temples everywhere carved into the cliffs. And in this cacophony of noise with probably parties, hap parties happening everywhere, because it's a place you want to go and relax in the heat of the day. It's beautiful. Wow. And the Romans occupied it. And he takes these Orthodox Jewish boys up there in the midst of the noise. And they're like, just looking everywhere, you know? And he says, who do men say that I am? Hmm. Some say you're Jeremiah, John. Who do you say that I am? It's Peter. And my Catholic brothers and sisters say this is the apostolic authority, the papal authority. Uh, yeah. Not the debate, but I, I don't agree with that. But Peter says, you're the Christ the son of the living God. He says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood is not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. And upon this rock, I will build my ecclesia. Translated, the ecclesia under Aristotle was the place where the citizens would gather to decide imports, exports, military roads. Hmm. The city states, right? The city states would decide the welfare of their citizens in the ecclesia. Hmm. Jesus used the term. Wow. Now, Look at it this way. Upon this rock, your testimony of Christ being the foundation of your life, I will build the public square, the assembly, the city hall. Wow. And the gates which enslave, for Christ didn't for Christ came to set the captive free. The gates that enslave will not prevail. Wow. They'll set the captives free. Wow. And here's how it works. 
we have become so enamored with our truncated myopic gospel, raising our hand to the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, believing in our heart, confessing in our tongue that Jesus Christ is Lord, uh, to the glory of the Father, that, that he was buried and resurrected on the third day. And if yeah. you believe that in your heart, if you confess with your tongue, Jesus, Lord, you will be saved. Raise your hand. God bless you. I see your hand. God bless you. I see your hand. God bless you. Let's get you a Bible. God bless you. Now, that's great. I throw the net out, too. Yeah. But Jesus didn't say con- con- make converts. Mm. He said make disciples. Yeah. He didn't just say make disciples for all my one world government brothers. <laughs> he said make disciples of all nations. Yep, baptizing Nations them. are boundaries, borders, constitutions, and ideologies. Yep. You and I are going to be judged individually before the Lord. Governments, nations will be judged corporately. Yeah, yeah. God doesn't mess around. You have a responsibility to the people entrusted to the boundaries of your establishment. If you think mm-hmm. God is for one world government, why did he do the Tower of Babel? Yeah. Why did he confuse the languages? Because it's the best way for preservation of man. Wow. And for our critical race theory brothers that have embraced CRT and Black Lives Matter, they say that that empirical data, scientific method, the Enlightenment were all white man constructs to suppress minorities. Okay, we look at Vody Bauckham, who is the president of the Zambian Bible College. He's talking to these black African Zambian Bible College students. He puts a map of the wealth of the world. He says, what do you surmise? And they say the white man is superior because the wealth is concentrated in Western Europe and America. He says, okay. And he overlays it with a map of the Reformation. He says, now what do you surmise? White man's not superior as ideology is. Wow. They want to, they want to say that, that that ideology that transformed the Western world that could care less about melanin content yep. needs to be removed so that buildings will topple because there's no absolutes. And the, and the minorities will gather together with political prowess to decide what is right and what is wrong. And the voice of truth, which is the pulpits of America, mm. are silent in that public square yeah. while the CRT gathers together and destroys culture. They've taken over every single institution in America. Yep. And the last one is the church, and it's being infiltrated. Yep. And they're buying into the one world government. They want to do the World Economic Forum. You've got the Pope wanting to participate in the World Health Organization. And listen... Where are the Bonhoeffers? Yep. Where are the Niemollers? That's right. Where are they? <laughs> yep. You, you want to go along to get along. Yep. And you're not driving culture, and you will stand before God. And when the, when the go- governor of the state of California, w- who's making this state, now that Roe v. Wade is toppled, he's making yep. this state an abortion destination vacation. Sanctuary, yep. Yeah, along with Trudeau up in Canada. Yep. Let's just make the soil of California a bloodbath. And in California... We're, we're, we don't just stop at eviscerating the baby in the womb of the mother. We, no, we, we're way more advanced than that. We take the organs out of the baby on the downbeat of the heart yep. to, to sell them. Yep. Using and taxpayer dollars. With taxpayer dollars. And, and we were doing this long before 73. Yeah. But, but Pastor, you're not political. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. Oh, my bad. Yep. Come on. And, and yet you, you stand by. While these children are ripped apart in the wombs of their mother, yep. because you know, it wasn't Christians who toppled Roe v. Wade. It wasn't Republicans who toppled Roe v. Wade. It was secular progressives that convinced us that the poor girl that was raped by a drug dealer 
shouldn't have to give birth to that child, which you and I both know now that that represents such a small portion, like 1% of 1%. And we were willing in our conscience and our compassion to just, okay, okay. And they didn't stop at that. We gave them an inch. They took a mile. Now let's kill them 28 days out of the womb. Yep. Let, let, let's harvest their organs. Let's keep ourselves alive with the DNA. And the church isn't saying anything. Yep. But they'll post a black tile because they don't want their buildings burning. Yeah. And they'll support that which is destroying Western civilization, which is truth that comes from the scripture itself. Yep. And they say, I'm political. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? Thank you. Because <laughs> politics is the highest form of morality. It combines sociability Morality with sociability is the highest form of community. Excuse me. It combines morality with sociability. This is how you get along. This is how you care for your neighbor. Hmm. So when the governor says the church is non-essential, the bride of Christ, while he's eviscerating babies in the womb of their mother, and he says that the bride of Christ is non-essential, and you agreed with him with a virus that had a 99.7% survival rate, and you said nothing. Is that the way, is that the way you defend your wife? It's hmm. good, man. One of the one of the rules of history that I think you'll probably agree with, Rob, but I want to get your opinion on it, is by the time people awaken to the tyranny in front of them and they decide, okay, it's time to stand. It's too late. You waited too long. Mildred Jefferson, the first black woman to graduate from Harvard Medical School, Rob, turned Reagan pro-life. Yeah. When she made a defense of the pro-life position on national television and Reagan watched it, he wrote her a letter probably weeping when he wrote it yeah. because he forever regretted the pro-choice legislation he sent in California that killed more children. Yep. And he said, I wish I had heard what you had to say before I signed that legislation. She said, today it is the unborn child. Tomorrow it is likely to be the elderly yep. or those who are incurably ill. Yep. Who knows but that a little later it may be anyone who has political and moral views that yep. do not fit into the new distorted order. We've been here for quite some time. Now we're seeing some pastors are starting to wake up. Yeah. You give grace, you welcome to the battle. Amen. However, the longer you wait to finally wake up and contend and recognize that politics was always a sticker that the secular progressive movement slapped over their bigotry to disguise their true agenda and define the terms of engagement. Yep. And you, Pastor, you accepted, you allowed them to define the terms of engagement yep. by labeling any debauched, immoral agenda they had as, it's just politics. Don't be political. Bonhoeffer once said that political actions means taking on responsibility. Yep. This cannot happen without power. Power is to serve responsibility. Yeah. <laughs> I get that they don't want to be labeled to a specific party because parties have let us down. Yeah. I, I would even say to the black community, Democrats have let you down and Republicans have let you down. Right. That's I mean, true. Democrats literally ushered in slavery. Yep. Republicans, when we could have <clears throat> annihilated it and we had the first black senators and first black congressmen ever elected in the United States, all from the South. Right. After the Civil War, it was we were we were putting the the death nail into that coffin. It was done. Yep. And then we had Tilden versus Hayes, 1876. The 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 Electoral College was tied. We didn't have a president for I think eight months. Wow. And they were negotiating back and forth. And the Democrats, in their brilliance, said to the Republicans, "We'll give you the executive branch on one condition: you remove federal troops from the South." Oh wow. 
and power. Mm. They agreed. Pulled the federal troops out. KKK went in and devastated. Wow. wow. Devastated the movement of freedom. Mm. Republicans mm. have let down the black community. Democrats have let down the black community. They're pawns of both parties. Abortion has eviscerated their community, their own people. It's almost like when I was in Israel in this last trip, yeah. the most vaccinated country on the face of the earth. Right. And I'm watching as they're hiding the truth that people are dying in droves. Wow. And I'm every single Israeli that I talked to, I said, did you take the vaccine? They're now on their fifth booster. I said, did you take the vaccine because you believed in it or because you were afraid of losing your job? Hmm. No one took it because they believe in its efficacy. Wow. The the heavy-handedness of their political leaders reminds me of the ones that were putting their own countrymen, their own citizens in the gas chambers Mm. in Auschwitz and Birkenau, Treblinka. Wow. They have have compromised the immune system of their entire nation over an experimental injection. And the data is out. Wow. And they're suppressing the truth with a lie. And censorship yep. in a nation that purports to be the birthplace of truth. Yep. And of course, every, every jab, and I've said this, was either tested in every case or developed in one case with aborted baby cell lines. Yep. Every, every yep. jab was tested with aborted baby cell lines and in one case developed. And churches won't even talk about the fact that we're and they tell us rob they say not to get on total tangent here but they say no no fresh babies have been aborted and used for vaccines or biological drugs those were those go it's way back lie. to to hek yeah. whatever back to it's like really you expect yeah. me to believe that yeah we, these we, are people who we've have come to really trust you yeah lied about all the abortion data all the vaccine data plus yeah. you're pro-abortion so a lie is far less burdensome on the conscience than and killing the, innocent human beings the thousand pages that we do have of the pfizer documents that they wanted to hide for 75 years as a 15% death rate. Wow. They knew this. The death rate's higher than the death rate of the virus itself. Yeah. And now they want to give it to our kids five and under. And, oh, pastor, I'm sorry. My bad. Don't be political. <laughs> Just, you know, allow one of these little ones to stumble. It'd be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and cast into the deepest ocean. Let them get injected. Don't be political. So stupid. Yeah. I, I just... Who inculcated their brains with this idea that somehow Christ doesn't have the right to rule and to reign? I understand you don't like parties. Mm. So don't be a Republican. Don't be a Democrat. Be a Christocrat. But at least know the issues and contend in the public square for the sake of your neighbors so the elderly don't die alone and the abused don't have to be quarantined with their abusers. And 65% of the businesses in your county will be shut down and destroyed because of this absolute stupidity and tyranny. Where's your voice? Where's the moral voice of conviction standing on behalf? Do you love your neighbor? Does it come at any cost? Yep. Well, now in California, I don't even know if I'm listening. I'm just talking (laughs) to you. I'm sorry. I'm not yelling at you guys. I'm just frustrated with the pastors. I mean, now, um, you know, babies will be relatively safer in South Dakota and in, you know, Idaho and uh, Florida, um, you know, various more pro Oklahoma. but Our founders gave the seven articles of the Constitution where they divided the powers, legislative, executive, judicial. And then they said anything that's not covered goes to states. And, and abortion was never a constitutional right. It yep. never. Yep. It's not privacy. Yep. You're not allowed to murder. Well, it's, it's in the emanations, Rob. 
you yeah, have to understand. Sure it is. <laughs> it, it's, it's a pliable document. Yeah, yeah. It just goes to the states. Nobody outlawed abortion. It just means in a republic where we get representation, not a mobocracy democracy, we have a republic. If, if 51% of the people say we're going to kill all the Jews in our country, it doesn't happen in America because right. it's a republic. Yep, yep. yep. It's a representative yep. form of government. Constrained by the seven right. articles of the Constitution. Which, which, what does that mean? It makes the individual more responsible. Yeah. Uh, and so and I, the pastor I, should be the moral voice of the individual. I'm right. sorry, Seth, I got to say this. That's good. I got to say this. Every king needs a counselor, every president needs a cabinet. Mm-hmm. Our founders understood that, and they gave the pulpits a preeminent mm-hmm. spot. So, who's the king in America? Yeah, but, but they, they gave the pulpits a preeminent spot in the formulation and, 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 and strength of this country, that it would continue as long as they did their job. That's right. They knew that kings needed counselors and presidents needed cabinets. And they made the sovereign in America very clear in the first three words of the preamble, we the people. Mm-hmm. And they gave the king, the sovereign, yep. counselors, by the freedom of the press to report the truth. The pulpits to proclaim the truth. Mm-hmm. The people to live it. That's good. And if it breaks down, you have the right to peaceably yep. assemble right of redress of grievances against the government right the press is bought the pulpits are silent and the people are rudderless Mm. and you know i call it the island of misfit toys you you think i'm political i'm my one of my strongest allies as a lifelong republican one of my strongest allies is robert kennedy jr lifelong democrat right Iconic. His father was assassinated. His uncle was assassinated. He took on big oil. He was the darling of the New York Times. Right. More editorials than any other citizen in the history of the paper. But he goes after Big Pharma? Hmm. Canceled. Right. And nobody's talking about the 40,000-plus deaths on Vaccine Adverse Events Reaction Site, which is underreported by 90%, or the over 800,000 permanent disabilities. No one's talking about it. And the pulpits are doing nothing. Nothing. For the majority. Right. Yeah. We're, we're going to be accountable because we were given a role for, for the voice of freedom when God would judge a nation. That's right. And we were given the opportunity to be the counselor to the king. Yep. But we don't step into the ecclesia. Yeah. We do church. So I. And while uh, we were doing church, the secular progressive was took over the Building the, the city. Yep. Yeah, they they the stepped wall. in the ecclesia. Yep. It's time to come and find your place on the wall. Yeah. Um, well, remember de Tocqueville's uh, tour of America. America is good because America. America is great because America is good when it ceases to be good. It ceases to be great. But yeah, he said, good. "I looked for the greatness of America in her rivers, right, and in her courthouse, and all these places, her and cities said, of industry." Yeah, and I couldn't find it there. Where did I found it? In her pulpits ablaze with, with righteousness. righteousness, and and I and so I think her uh, her pulpits of flame. With compromise. <laughs> right, 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 right. Well, well, we're starting to learn, Rob, that the culture wars was always just a proxy war yep. for the spiritual war. Yep. And we've allowed the other side to define the terms of engagement for so long um, that now we're starting to, some people are saying, oh gosh, oh, I guess, I guess Rob and Jack Hibbs and Charlie Kirk, and I guess they were right when they said that it's not a matter of if there will be a morality or if there will be a religion, but whose. Uh, and so why not the one that provided the freedoms that you've taken for granted for so long and are no willing, no more willing to step up and actually contend for for the next generation? But I want to I want to wind down with this and then I, I want you to I want to get your thoughts on it, Rob, as, uh, as a pastor and a warrior and, a, and Ezekiel Watchman. 
I believe that abortion kind of represents what I call the centerpiece of secular progressivism. I also call it the sacrament of secular progressivism. And Peter Kraft, the Catholic philosopher, once said that abortion is the demonic parody of the Eucharist. That's why it uses the same holy words. This is my body, but with the opposite blasphemous meaning. And so abortion is also sort of like the pagan replacement for man's pursuit of eternal life. Rather than accepting the broken body and shed blood of Christ for eternal life, they demand that we break the bodies and shed the blood of babies for eternal life and for peace or the appearance of peace. Um, But I say if you don't get the right to life right, you won't get any other rights right. But the left kind of has like an antonym, an inversion of that statement, I think, Rob. It goes something like this. If you can invert the right to life, there's nothing else you can't invert. It's almost like the entire liberal establishment is built on the mutilated bodies of 65 million children. It's how they prop up their political regime. Because if they can get American citizens to not just tolerate, Rob, but to champion the abuse of the right to life of 65 million children, and on top of that, to get the pulpits to be silent, then there's no end to their political project. So not only is it the centerpiece because it gives them the ability to have orgasms without responsibility and have sex and not have to adopt responsibility for the children that they conceive, but also because it, it, it kind of allows them to pursue and claim every other agenda or alleged right that they want to in this republic. And so and so here's my final statement. I think that the church has been more impacted by the secular liturgy than by their Bibles. Yeah. And I'll prove it. How many pastors say they're pro-life? They say they stand with us, Rob. Yeah, they do. They, some, some of them, Rob, they even preach a Sanctity of Life sermon yeah, on the third Sunday of every January, the Sanctity of Life Sunday that Reagan started. And they'll even do, and some of them, they'll even give the local pregnancy resource center director five minutes to share about her ministry in front yeah. of the church with a table in the foyer and, once and a year. And they'll send them a donation. Yep. And so they'll check their pro-life checkbox. They do just enough to quote my godfather to salve the conscience, but not enough to stop the killing. Yeah. And they pat themselves on the back because, hey, we did our pro-life thing. But then you have pastors like Tim Keller, who wrote a piece in the New York Times Opinion Editorial a few years ago called um, How Do Christians Fit Into a Two-Party System? They Don't. And in that piece, he, he lambasts, he lambasts churches in the 1850s who were silent. And he said, he said, because that was called getting political. Um, and, and so he said, but he said that to um, maintain the status quo was actually to be political, because he said to not be political is to be political. Tim Keller says that when he lambasts churches in the 1850s for just for just not being political. I'm neither Republican yeah. or Democrat. But then he goes, you have liberty of conscience to vote for the Democrat Party today. So apparently the, the blood of unborn children doesn't run as deep or as hot as the abuse of the slave in Tim Keller's mind, because the abuse of the slave, he says, deserves you, you, the involvement of the church, the, the but abuse, not the, the abuse, abuse of, of babies. The, the abuse of the black man is far more heinous of chronological to, to, snobbery to, to him than the death of the black man. Right. And I think abortion is worse than slavery. It is. Hands they, down. They, we've killed more blacks as a result of abortion. Planned Parenthood is, lynches more unarmed black lives in the yep. womb every two weeks yep. than the KKK lynched in a century. And so yep. what's my point? I call it soft bigotry. That's what I call it. Because I think Tim Keller... Um, does believe that the unborn child should not be killed. But see, he doesn't care enough about their rights to contend for them. So it's it's almost like a soft bigotry. You'll grant that they're human and that they're created in the image of God, yeah. but then you'll, you'll lambast Democrats who said they were Christians in 1850 
for their political sins of propping up the institution of slavery. Right. But you don't attribute I got it. sin. You know, you know what I'm yeah. saying? So it's like a soft bigotry. Yeah. Um, and, and so this is what I would end with. Um, Berephos. In Luke's gospel, when it says that John the Baptist leaped in the mm. womb, it says the baby leaped in the womb. The word is berephos. Okay, a chapter or two chapters later, it says Mary laid baby Jesus in the manger. What word is used to refer to baby Jesus? Berephos. Berephos. God sees no difference yeah, between the baby in the womb well, and the baby Even when we use the word the fetus, womb. what's Latin for fetus? That's small child or offspring. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so O for pastors who would, who would yeah. see no difference yeah. in dignity and value between the baby in the womb and the baby outside the womb. Seth, I love when you talk about the incarnate God. The prenatal deity. Prenatal deity. It's so, so actually, pro-choice pastors or quote-unquote pro-life pastors, Rob, who vote for Democrats or tell their, their sheep that they have liberty of conscience to do so, I would actually call that a Christological heresy. Because what you're saying is that Christ was at one point fully God, but not fully human. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a great point. You know, um, hard, hard to conclusively state this, but it's intriguing. Nevertheless, we don't know. We do not know the date of Jesus's birth. We say it's the 25th of Saturnalia. Uh, we, we just, you know, Mm. it's the winter solstice and Right. You know, we want to make the darkest night of the year where the light comes into the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, seen a great light. But the reality is what we do know is when Elizabeth conceived. Right. Because we do know that. Yeah. Uh, her husband, Zechariah, was in the temple of Abijah on his ter- term. Hmm. So we know when he served. We know when she gets pregnant. And we know it's six months. Before Christ. Before Christ. So we have that data. So right. if you follow that based on how the Jewish calendar operates, the interesting thing is it, it almost seems as though Christ was, was, um, was born on the Feast of... No, let's see. He would have been born on the Feast of Tabernacles. Wow. Where, you know... Emmanuel, God with us. He tabernacled with us. Wow. That's powerful. But but here's 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 the most amazing thing. You know what Christmas is? If you take that point, then Christmas would be the conception of Christ. Right. Yeah. I think Bill Fetter has talked about this before. I mean powerful. Yeah, I mean you look at that. That's the only kind of chronological way we can right. look at it. Because right. we we I mean, however we celebrate, we're celebrating the birth yeah, of the yeah. Savior. You're saying it, that we have, there's, there's some good reasons to believe that at Christmas time, we don't celebrate his birth. We celebrate his entrance into human history as a prenatal deity yeah. who takes on fetal yeah. flesh to identify with you from your most vulnerable stage, the prenatal stage. Yeah. So, so even, even conception, the zygote. Wow. Um, Th- this, that, that would be the coolest Christmas celebration you could think of. Yeah. That's the conception time. And, and scientists have recorded a flash of light yeah. when conception occurs. I don't, I don't occurs, know about that. That would be kind of cool, but that's pretty, that's pretty epic. So yeah. I, I, all this stuff to me is God breeds life. Yeah. And, and our founder said life, then liberty, then the pursuit of happiness. Happiness is the highest virtue. It's, mm-hmm. it's goodness. It, it's, it's what Aristotle said is the highest virtue. It's not a feeling. I'm yeah. happy. No, yeah, it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's fulfilling that for which you were designed to do. A cup is good mm. because it holds water. If it leaks, it's a bad cup. Yeah, yeah. 
So happiness is is being right is being exactly what you were in you were, you're accomplishing that for which you were created to do. That's good, and that's where our founders understood that happiness mm. in in Him is the fullness of joy. Laws of nature, nature's God. You operate in that context, you flourish. Yeah. God's listed four times. It's his, it's his it's his deities, executive, judicial, legislative, all listed in there. Supreme ruler of the universe, and then the part that gets me. In this Declaration of Independence, as it goes, life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, it begins with life. Yep. Because liberty and happiness are worthless if you're dead. That's right. This is a nation of life. Mm. And I am so grateful. For every one abortion clinic, there's nine you know, pro-life. Yeah, yeah, for yeah. one Planned Parenthood, there's, there's nine pro-life uh, uh, pregnancy centers. Churches have supported it. Many haven't. Men and women have been laboring since 73 and even beyond that. And, and interestingly enough, Roe v. Wade has turned over in the year of Jubilee. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, this is yeah. going to be 50 years. Yeah, yeah, isn't that cool? And this is the 49th year. The babies are free in the 50th year. Yeah. And, and I, we can't stop here. Yep, that's right. We're in California. Nothing has it's, changed it's in get, California. It'll get, it'll get worse. Yeah, nothing yeah. has changed. Now... Now yep. we, we've got AB 2223, 28 days outside the womb. Being paranatal. You, you, hear a, you hear a parent beating a child and killing it, and you call the police, and you, you interfere. You can be sued and be liable. Yep. This is just... Yeah, they're even, they're even pushing legislation that would not only use their taxpayer dollars to fund abortions in California, but to pay the travel expenses of a woman coming out of a more pro-life state into California to yep. reimburse her yep. for her food, her gas, her hotel. Oh, and also her babysitting for her born children, yep. perhaps back in Arizona, that she needs someone to watch while she kills her sibling. But I mean, this sounds so dystopian. It's yep. hard for some people to realize that this is how committed these people are to death. Hopefully, when they come to the state to have their abortion, they can bring some water with them, because what we have, we can water our lawn for 15 minutes once a week. We we don't we don't do what government's supposed to do, build infrastructure to help the citizenry. We pursue sociological experiments and death camps. Yeah. Uh, we don't care for the citizens. People have no water. We built no reservoir. We're, matter of fact, we protect a non-indigenous fish while we flush all of our Sierra water out to the Pacific Ocean, um, and they tell us we're in a drought. This is a man-made drought. Mm. They're destroying our crops. They're destroying our food supply. And listen, don't get political. Just, hey, come on. We're Christians. We don't do politics. When we start to sicken as congregants, when a pastor says that, we've arrived. And when America, on an election night, looks at the vote and the prayer as, as as meaningful as Easter and Christmas to contend for the welfare of your city. Pray for the peace of the city, for it's peace, you'll have peace. Um, yeah. Amen. Come on, pastors. Quit being myopic. Let's finish with this, Pastor Rob. Um, the last great revival, the Billy Graham revival and how God used him. Uh you know, they started winding down in the early 70s. That um, was really the 60s. It was blowing up. Um, 1973, Roe versus Wade. 
is it fair to ask that maybe that there's a relationship there? Did God remove his grace a little bit? Or did we start to be under his judgment? Oh, God, if you say that if your people who are called by your name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and... Uh, you know what the wicked ways are? It's apathy and inactivity. Hmm. Yeah. Then you'll hear from heaven, you'll forgive our sins, and you'll heal our land. And pastors have been praying for revival, especially in the last two years, as some of them start to awaken to the importance of contending politically or in the public square, and yet the heavens seem to have been shut. And why is that? And I would just submit to people listening or to any pastors who listen to this, that God will not bless a people or a country who participate in and tolerate the slaughter of innocents. And I'll prove it to you. Psalm 106 at the very end, God is addressing the Israelites for their complicity specifically in child sacrifice. And he says, and I quote, very end of Psalm 106, forget the verse, you have sacrificed your sons and daughters to demons, he says, and the land is desecrated with blood. And so I give you over to be ruled by those who hate you. Yeah, it feels like we've been being ruled by people who hate the church in America for quite some time. Is it is it possible that because of the child sacrifice of abortion, God has given us over to be ruled by those who hate us? And so, listen, Pastor, even if, if you don't feel the same burden for the unborn that I do or that Rob does, well, you need to pray that God gives you that burden. But how about this? How about this? St- if you want to have evangelistic success in fulfilling the, the myopic view of the Great Commission that you have— God's not even going to grant that to you as long as you continue to tolerate the slaughter of his children. George Mason, the father of the Bill of Rights, said, as nations cannot be rewarded or punished in the next world, so they must be in this. By an inevitable chain of causes and effects, providence punishes national sins by national calamities. That's a good word. Yeah, that's a good word, Seth. Well, Bill Federer has poured into both of us. Yeah. Uh, an awakening always precedes a revival mm. and an awakening is realizing That's right. we got this all wrong yeah dust off the old books get into it realize what you've forsaken and repent i would add this because you know you speak the truth in love and i think sometimes we like in rape there's two victims right um, and if we punished rape, as the scripture says, where the rapist is killed, then it would be a lot less of a focus on killing the product of that rape, that baby. Yeah. But we've reversed it. The rapist gets to go free and the baby is killed for the crimes of their father, for the crimes of, of, of the, of the rapist. Uh, and, and the mother is left devastated, um, I, I, I want to speak to the, the, the entirety of it because oftentimes we're so contending for the one that has no voice right. that we have to remember this. And I said it on Sunday. Every person in America has been affected by abortion. I do not condemn you. Otherwise, I'd be condemning myself. We've all been affected. We've all participated in one way or another. John 3.16, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not come into the world to condemn the world, for they were already condemned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're already condemned. God's not condemning you for getting it wrong. 
I heard it in 1978. My classmates, most of them bought it hook, line, and sinker, as did my generation. I don't condemn them. But now that we have three-dimensional ultrasound, color, we, we see the intricacies, the, we, we see the reality. Why is it, as, as um, uh, Mother Teresa said, why must a baby die so that you can have your lifestyle? Yeah. We have to get back to seeing it through the eyes of God. You do not take a human life. He who takes the blood of one man, his blood will be required. Blood must be shed for the remission of sins. And the reason why there's no condemnation is because Christ died. Amen. His blood covered our iniquity. But don't double down on your sin hmm. because of pride. Yeah. Okay, so listen. We got it wrong. It doesn't mean we keep investing in the wrong way. We yeah. would have never have abolished slavery had that been the case. It's good. And I just say to all the women out there who have been affected by abortion, you're forgiven. Yeah. There's no condemnation here. But be an advocate for life. Repent. Just agree with God. And let's move forward. I'm just as guilty as every other person. But we forget what's behind. We strive for what is ahead, taking hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of you. Hmm. He's covered the iniquity. Let's get it right. You know what, Rob? Actually, you're well, <laughs> just so good. You made me think of one other thing. Um, David Benham. Uh, the Benham brothers poured this truth into me the other day when I was in Charlotte for wow. the Turning Point Faith event. And here, here's what he poured into me. Uh, remember Lot? Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, he was an influencer. Mm. Where was he positioned? At the gates. Right. He had position and authority. Right. He was a Christian influencer. Yeah. <laughs> he had a platform God had given him. Uh, but God was going to burn the city. Yeah. And when the angels come, he takes them to their his house. Yeah. And it says that that people came from all parts. All the, all the men of the city. Yeah, all parts of the city. So from every area yep. of culture. Yep. And they come to him and they say, bring those men out that we might have sex with them. Now, Lot believed the truth and he was willing to speak the truth, but he wasn't willing to die for the truth. He comes out there Offers and he, daughter. he says, my Brothers, so he tries to connect with the secular culture of yeah. death. My brothers, <laughs> but then he but then he lobs out truth. He says, "Don't do this abominable or wicked thing." Who is this man to judge us? So he calls it wicked. Yeah, but he tries to connect with the culture of brothers. Yeah. But he, he does lob out truth. Yeah. But then he says, "Here are my daughters. Have sex with them." Yeah. So he believed the truth. He spoke the truth. How many pastors we got out there and influencers that God has given you a platform? You yeah. believe, oh, you even share it once in a while. But when the time comes, when what Martin Luther says, the flinching point yeah. at which you were needed the most, Lot was needed the most in that sec second. We, we're not even talking about defending other children. We're talking about your children. Yeah. And you offer them up to the sexualized mob yep. so that you can maintain your influence and your platform. Lot was saved, but he wasn't salty. And so his wife became in death what he should have been in life. That's a good word. A pillar of salt. Yeah. Okay, you can be saved, Pastor. It's not me to know whether you're saved or not. You can be saved and you can lob out the truth. But until you're willing to die on the mat for your children and the children in the womb who are being ripped apart while you say you're not political, then you're not salty. You, we want to close this because I, I got to add to that. <laughs> yeah, go for it. I remember reading, I think it's in Timothy. Yeah. 
It says, righteous Lot, who tormented his righteous soul by giving his eyes and his ears audience to the things of this world. Hmm. Now, I don't know about you, but to have your name in the Bible is pretty cool. <laughs> to have your name in the Bible with the word righteous before it, that's, that's ridiculously cool. Not in the Old, but in the New Testament. Yeah. Let's find out who that guy is. Mm. Not only did he offer his daughters up, he slept with them. <laughs> right. That's Incestually right. and had children by them that became wow. the, 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 the two warring nations against Israel. That's right. You can have a saved soul and a wasted life. Mm. Wow. And, it, and it's this idea that, yeah, you're righteous. But you you're missed, righteous. You missed out. You're righteous because of what Christ has done. And I, and I leave you with this. When, when they were partying in Babylon and they saw, the, the king saw the, the finger without a hand, yeah, the right. hand without a, an arm, writing with the finger on the wall, meaning, meaning, a tekafarsal. You've been weighed in the balance, have been found wanting. He didn't yeah. know what it said. His, his knees shook. It's probably translated, he soiled himself. He calls for Daniel, who survived three administrations. He comes in and he, he defines, he says, this night the kingdom will be taken from you. They called for the, the vessels that they had stolen from the temple that had been sanctified unto God, hmm. that they had conquered the temple. They had them in the storehouse of Babylon. He calls for them, and he's pouring wine in them, and he's drinking them, and they're partying and praising the gods of wood, hay, and stubble. <laughs> and then that night, we know that uh, uh, Cyrus goes under and conquers and you know just kills the leadership and takes over Babylon. And it's prophesied hundreds of years earlier in Isaiah. But here's my point. The Bible says in Corinthians that we're saved. But it also says that we bring condemnation on those who defile. Hmm. So it's I call it Christians at a party. You're sanctified, set apart for the Lord, but you're where you're not supposed to be. Wine's getting poured in. You're getting fondled. And you've got, you're righteous. You're saved by the grace of God, and his blood has covered you by profession of faith. And and uh, you're not acting like a Christian. You're undercover, and you've got your get-out-of-hell-free card. But everyone who's at that party's dying, and you're relevant. Mm. Wow. So just look at him and say, hey, I'm relevant. <laughs> Have a nice time in hell. <laughs> right, right. His name was Righteous, Righteous Lot, Righteous Soul, tormented because he wanted to be part of this world. Wow, wanted a place at the table. And he had he had no offspring except for those that became enemies of God's people. Yeah. And you contrast that with Abraham. Hmm. He blew it too. Yeah. Dr. Owen Strand called it the idol of cultural respectability. Yeah. yeah. You, 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 brought, you brought Lot out of Egypt, but you couldn't take Egypt out of Lot. He wanted to go back. Yeah. We gotta quit being so enamored with this world. We're passing through. It's like it's like bringing your furniture to a hotel room and mm. putting up pictures. Yeah. Give, give me a break. Yeah. Quit holding on so tight. Yeah. I I don't care about jail. Yeah. I don't care about prison. I don't care about humiliation. Yeah. I don't care about losing all my friends. Right. I don't care. Mm. I care about one thing. Jesus Christ. That's right. Who brings freedom to mankind. And I will stand for that no matter what it costs. Amen. And uh, 
Yeah. And do, because if we we've, do. we've counted the cost on the, this earth, my wife and I. There's nothing on this earth oh, more yeah, valuable you to have. us than freedom and liberty. Yep, yep. So. We didn't have time to get into that. but uh, and, and if we do go to jail and we suffer for the... I can't call you because you'll be there with me. Yeah, that's right. That's right. If we suffer for the cause of Christ, the cause of the unborn, which is the cause of Christ... Um, it's hard for us to wrap our mind. It's hard for me to wrap my mind around being in that situation, Rob, because we've been enjoying the fruits of liberty in America for so long. But if we're not prepared to count that cost, then then what were we doing here? And so it reminds me of this this the final moments of Bonhoeffer's life. Um, this is powerful. Uh, July twentieth, nineteen forty four. Um, the assassination attempt against Hitler, Valkyrie failed. Bonhoeffer was charged for knowing about the plot. And on April 8th, 1945, he was court-martialed without representation and sentenced to death. The next day, Bonhoeffer was ordered to strip naked before being hanged. Hermann Fischer Hulstrung, a Flossenburg prison doctor, described Bonhoeffer's last moment, moments, is what Hermann said. He said, through the half-open door, I saw Pastor Bonhoeffer still in his prison clothes, kneeling in fervent prayer to the Lord his God. The devotion and evident conviction of being being heard that I saw in the prayer of this intensely captivating man moved me to the depths. And Bonhoeffer's last words were, this is the end for me, the beginning of life. Um, that moved that prison guard because of his faithfulness to Christ in the final moments. The prison guard for Sophie and Hans Scholl later said, Rob, pr the prison guard, not the executioner, the prison guard said, she went without the flicker of an eyelash. None of us understood how this was possible. And the prison guard said, the executioner said that he had never seen someone meet his end as she did. Her final words were, the sun still shines. Hans Scholl's final words were freedom. And then the blade fell on their necks. 21 and 24 years yeah. old, Bonhoeffer in his 30s, and the witness yeah. to those wicked men in their final hours. It's incredible. With the exception of Martin Niemöller, Name one other good German pastor. That's right. Oh, and, and he and he regretted what he he did his early participation. Yeah. Uh, let, let me close with this: uh, lifelong Democrat, liberation theologist, black pastor. I was invited to his in the black church. The anniversary of the pastor is very big. I was invited. I was the only white guy there. I sat on the dais. I sat next to Reverend Doctor Jeremiah Wright. Hmm. Um, I was odd man out. And I, I sat through that. And the guy that introduced Reverend Dr. Jeremiah Wright, everything he said was a direct attack on me, not knowing who I was. The friend who had invited me, whose anniversary it was, was embarrassed. But I, I wasn't offended. You can't offend a dead man. <laughs> I, I go where I'm, I'm invited. You go where you're not loved but needed and leave when you're no longer needed but loved. I was there. I love that man. He's my friend. He's struggled through this. I told him about the Holocaust of the black community. It haunted him, but he said, the government's the only thing that comes to the inner city. I said, then we'll join you. Mm. The churches will, you know, let's work together. We've been doing this together for 10 years, maybe longer. He now came and he said this last week, he said I was in Philadelphia with a pastor who was very pro-life, black pastor, and he turned the mantle over to me. And I was scared. And I, I, I struggled over it. And he said, I gave a pro-life message when I was a young pastor in my late 20s. And I was obliterated by my congregation. And I never did it again. Oh, wow. And I'm ashamed. Mm. And now I'm in my 60s and I don't care. I am going to die with my boots on 
Wow. And I am going to to proclaim and fight on behalf of the unborn. Wow. And and that's somebody that the world would say, Rob, you shouldn't hang out with him. Yeah, yeah. He's probably one of the best preachers I've ever heard. Mm. I love that man. Wow. So it's powerful. Keep fighting, everybody. Yep. The moment Amen. is now. Seth, thanks, brother. I'm gonna miss you. <laughs> yeah. You come yeah. back often. Yeah, right. I will. Thanks, brother, for coming on. Yeah. Unaborted, finally, in your studio on my podcast and everything you've done for for me and my family. Likewise. Uh, brothers and sisters, friends, uh, all you guys listening, uh, Pastor Rob McCoy is one of the most fearless um, pro-life pastors and leaders I know, and I hope this conversation and, and just time together has blessed you. As I said at the top of the show, share this widely, yeah? Share this with pastors and friends that you want to encourage to stand in this moment, which feels like the final fight for life and liberty. It's not. But we're Keep just going. getting, that's right, we're just we're getting winning. started. We're yeah. winning, and if we can take down Roe versus Wade. Everything's um, going to fall. That's Let's right. Amen. Let's do it. Full speed ahead. <laughs> Damn the torpedoes. Thanks for tuning in to the show today, guys. Head on over to iTunes, Spotify, YouTube. Give the show rating and review. It helps. It drives it up the charts. More people see it. Who knows? It's amazing. Appreciate it. Go subscribe to YouTube. You can follow me on Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, or Twitter. And, you're and good at this. if you want to, bing, 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 you, bing, that's bing, right. That's right. I done it up. And if you want to uh, um, book me for an event or see my speaking schedule, head on over to SethGruber.com and the new website, thewhiterose.com. Life, And if you're listening to this, we will have already released an episode about the White Rose Resistance. And so you'll know all about what I'm building to gird up the loins of the church and invite the truth lovers and life lovers in our land into a resistance movement that I think will fundamentally alter the course of the country and the pro-life movement for the rights of our brothers and sisters yet to be born. Until next week, I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted.